This is Expat State of Mind with Tip and Tom. Hi there, this is Tom. Hey, this is Tip. And this is episode four of Expat State of Mind. And uh, today's fun-filled topic will be the topic of uh, finding employment, um, finding something to do. And uh, living abroad is expensive. Living on your own is expensive. So, um, yes. Unless you're balling out of control. Yeah, obviously, yeah. Um, So it's a key part of moving abroad. And, um, yeah, we're both going to share some of our stories. And I have worked in the recruitment industry for quite some time. So hopefully can share some insights um, that might help some people when you're looking for that first job. Tip, what about yourself? You, you, uh, did you find work when you first arrived? Did you have work lined up? Mm, no, I did not. <laughs> I never have work lined up when I move somewhere. I'm kind of just like, oh, when I get there, it'll be like I'll go on a job hunt. And I think in my head, I think looking for a job is easy. But I do realize after like talking to so many people that it's not easy and that maybe I've just gotten lucky. I think I sell myself pretty well. As awkward or as weird as that sounds, um, I'm pretty good at selling myself. Uh, but so when you, when you came here, did you have, um, you like, I need to find a job within this amount of time. What was the sort of stress when you arrived? Ooh, okay. Um, so... I guess I'll talk about it in stages. So when I first came here, I was a student and I only wanted a job because I knew that the minimum wage was high. Yeah, I was pretty broke, but I did get like a monthly stipend. Um, What's a stipend? Um, you just get money like <laughs> <laughs> once a month from this company. Like a per diem, but for the month. Yeah, but per diem is more like when you're like a, a business traveler. Because I have gotten per diems when I've gone on like... Um, trips but I went to Germany with um, my university we got a per diem the mm. stipend is more like you're supposed to be kind of live off of it a little bit yeah and it's not a loan no it's just more like I said in the UK it'd be so like a it, student grant kind of thing yeah well it came out of my financial aid so my financial aid paid for all of my uh, like my study my housing um, and this stipend was included and my flights but it was all paid to this company and this company so they got this lump sum I think it was like $17,000 to be honest um, and they got this lump sum. They used some of it to pay tuition in Fiji, some of it to pay tuition in Australia, um, then the housing, then my flight, and some excursions because we went places. Then I got a monthly amount each month. Okay. But it wasn't enough to like live on. And when I say live, I mean go shopping. <laughs> um, then, so I ended up getting a job because of um, the minimum wage was high. And I actually went straight through a recruiter that I found on like the job board at the university that was like online or whatever. But then the second time, uh, I didn't have a job lined up when I moved here the second time. And I did not give myself a time frame. I think I wanted to figure out where I was going to live first. And once I started living with a friend, and I wasn't paying any rent. I just got real comfortable. <laughs> I was like, I'm not spending any money. So it it was only until they were saying like, oh, you know, we have someone staying in the room at this time. So this is when you need to be out. But I was like, okay, I need to find a job by that date. Too. Yeah. yeah. Um, then when I was in New Zealand, I, I think the need to find a job was a bit more urgent. 
but I also came, I went to New Zealand with more money than I had come to Australia with, because um, I like just finished working um, in Australia. Then when I came back to um, to Australia, I was like, from day one, like when I moved back here for the last time, I was ready to hit the ground running and job job searching. But um, immigration hurt my feelings and they were like, look, your bridging visa actually doesn't start until three months from now. And I had already been like going through the job process with recruiters and um, <clears throat> they were like, yeah, you still got three months on this uh, visitor visa before your bridging visa hits. So you can't work. So I spent three, three months doing nothing. Well, fun employment. It was not fun. I remember <laughs> crying like a month in. I was like, I want to work. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's not a cheap place to live as well, Australia, so you can eat through your savings pretty, yeah, pretty quickly. Yeah, I was just staying at home all day. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, yeah, from my side of things, I just, um, yeah, I'd lined up a few interviews from, from the UK, and um, once I arrived, I had those interviews, so it's probably my second or third day here. I Is it my, easy to do that? Um, so for, in my, in, in, recru- in the area of recruitment, um, yes, uh, because there's quite a lot of UK recruiters that come out to Australia as anyone who's ever been to Australia can attest um, so there is a sort of pathway there um, and there's plenty of companies set up to do that um, but if if you if you're in any job where they can sponsor you in whichever country you're moving to there will be a business there to help you do that because obviously recruitment companies are business big business everywhere um, so if you're in any of the trades that are sponsored or if you're in anything like that then there's likely going to be a recruitment company out there that, that can help you and, and from my side there was a couple um, and yeah, I think I had four or five interviews in my first week here um, and I think my second week I had my offers to sort of choose from so um, yeah from that that point of view I just I knew that I wanted to sort of get on with getting you know my life kind of set up so I kind of did that immediately in hindsight mm. I've now been working sort of flat out since then and not really had the chance to travel as much and see as much of Australia as I would have wanted. So, you know, I would recommend people maybe get a bit of that in before you settle into something, if you're finding, if you're here long term, certainly. Or if your job isn't as uh, flexible. Um, Yes. Well, as a recruiter, though, would you say that um, when people... So you're sitting at work as a recruiter and people are applying for for jobs, but they're overseas somewhere. Do you pay those any attention? Like someone in the U.S. or someone Mm. in India or, you know, someone in Singapore, you know, applying for a job you posted on Seek or LinkedIn or whatever. Yeah. And but they know they want to come here uh, and then, you know, they're starting the process in advance. Do you take those serious or, you know? Um, Yeah. Yeah, definitely, but it has to be, I think, a job where there is demand for that skill set. Um, so I think if you're in a job where there is is isn't that high demand, or there's plenty of um, supply here in in Australia, um, then you're less likely to get a call. But if you if you're in an area, let's say, where there's sponsorship, where usually an area where there's not a sort of high talent level of talent within the country, and that's why they're open to sponsorship. Then, um, then yeah, there's likely to be uh, interest in your CV from overseas. Um, but yeah, it's certainly, certainly much harder to you know to get those initial phone calls and to to mm. get noticed if you're applying for jobs um, because you're especially right now 
there's such competition for jobs and as a recruiter you're trying to find someone for your client who's an employer um, and the employer themselves want someone that usually can start you know they've just had the approval to hire someone so they want to get someone in as soon as they can into the team um, so you know, there's an extra level when it goes to them that you have to then say oh by the way this person's not ready until they arrive in x amount of weeks months plus they can't do like a face-to-face interview yes yeah i mean that's probably becoming less of an an issue now just with you know covid just changing things and we're seeing people already um in the it industry open to more remote workers and people that aren't necessarily um you know in the same city or you know can't make it in every day um so that is starting to change but yeah if you can get into a face-to-face interview you're always much much more likely to get um, because it's it's just easier to sell yourself yeah yeah that makes sense i know for um jobs that are like teaching english overseas a lot of people that i know that do that um particular role they end up securing their job beforehand so it's like they have applied to maybe some companies in china um south korea and you know taiwan and everything is kind of done because they have to do all this paperwork in order to get the visa. Yeah. Um, so they have to have proof that, you know, they're going to be working here. So they do that in advance. And um, uh, I think that makes it a bit more secure knowing that, you know, you don't have to do any job hunting um, oh, yeah. and go on interviews um, because you've already done all of that before you even left the comfort of your home country. Yeah. Yeah, and if um, you know, you get a lot of people as well that will have a work for a company that have offices around the world and relocate. So, if you can do that with a company you're currently working with, and you're, you're yeah. sorted, that's, that's a great way to travel and a great way to, to move because you have that security that often helps set you up. Um, yeah, I've got a few friends here that have done that, and um, yeah, it's obviously a very luxurious way to do things. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's not going to be open to most people. Um, and then I guess the other people sort of moving out here and looking for work would be on sort of holiday visas and those type of work, that type of work. And to find work before you get here on that type of visa is very difficult. Um, yeah, because a lot of them, they don't even want to give jobs to working holiday um, visa holders, especially. I think they changed this now, but it used to be you could only work six months with an employer, with um, each employer. Yeah, it was certainly the case when I was on mine. Um, yeah, but they, I think they've changed it to made it where you can do like a year yeah. but then if you end up extending your working holiday visa after you do your farm work you, you can't do um you can't continue on with that same yes. company yeah yeah um yeah so for anyone who's not sort of wary of the australian system they you from certain usually commonwealth countries i think you can come here for 12 months and if you go and work in what they consider sort of rural areas farm work and things like that you can then extend that for another 12 months and it's a way to sort of drive work towards these areas where yeah, there are remote lots of areas labor. yeah um for americans yeah <laughs> for americans and um maybe i should look it up i forgot what other countries are on uh, so the one tom is talking about is called the working holiday visa but the one um that i was on and that americans and i think um maybe canadians it's like about 12 countries you can do the work and holiday um which used to be that you could not extend it so when i was on it you could not extend it and like do farm work or whatever but um now you can do farm work on three months and you can extend it then you can do farm work again and get extended for a third year 
which is like crazy to me because oh, that yeah, was just yeah. not an option um, when I uh, was on that visa. Uh, who was it open to? Well, I was trying to do a quick Google search, but um, yeah, it doesn't actually tell. Oh, there it is. Hold this passport. Oh, wow. It's like 20 something countries, but like Argentina, Chile, China, US, Vietnam, Uruguay, Israel lots of other countries and Spain's in there. Canada is not. I don't know why I thought that. Uh, Singapore. And I remember they said they were going to change the age to um, from 31 to 35, but they still haven't done that. Um, so if you are interested in that type of visa um, for Australia or even New Zealand, New Zealand has the exact same visa, um, your options for work can be um, lesser than if you were on um, like a skilled migrant visa or um, if you were entering the country on a different type of visa. Yeah, any, any employer, if it's a long-term role, is going to look at someone that can stay, aren't they, before they look at yeah. someone who's going to have to leave because they're going to have to look again exactly. whenever that person leaves. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think for both of us, or well, certainly on your <clears throat> on your second arrival, you, were, you knew it was a long-term thing, and I knew certainly for my side of things it was a... A long-term thing. Well, I was looking for permanent work anyway. Um, I don't think I knew it was a long-term thing on the second no. arrival. No? I was still, like, figuring it out. And then at some point, I did want it to be long-term, but then I had to leave to go to New Zealand. Um, That's what I mean, for the final time, the time you're here now. Oh, the, so the third time? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely knew that was going to be, which is why I was looking, yeah, I was looking for permanent work. Back for the third time. Even though they hurt my feelings, and they were like, no you got to wait three months. Oh, and I had an offer to you with uh, BT. British Telecom BT? Nah, BT Financial uh. Services. Um, yeah. Anyway, I don't want to go into that, but it was such a perfect role. Oh. All right. Anyway. Everything happens for a reason. I know, and I've had a great job since then. Um, yeah, so it, and yeah, so I think yeah, when you when you arrive and you're looking for work, yeah, the most obvious places to look are the sort of online job boards. Here in Australia, it's Seek is the biggest one. Um, is Seek the biggest one? Is it bigger yeah. than LinkedIn? As a, I'd say LinkedIn is more of a professional social media network. Um, I would call Seek is a job board. Um, oh, yeah, so true. You, you'd have, in the States, I think you said you had Indeed. Yeah, Indeed we, in, and... In the UK, it's Monster. Something else. Or um, you can use Monster as well. Few, yeah, there's a few. Um, and you know, on there you'll have people that are looking to hire direct. You'll have recruiters on there as well, um, and that's a good way just to map out what recruiters sort of hire in the area of work that you're looking for. Um, and you can make contact with them. You can look them up on LinkedIn. Um, and um, yeah, I think speaking to recruiters and looking yourself gives you the best chance. Um, not every job, not every company will hire directly. So some jobs you can only get through through recruiters. Some jobs you can only get directly, so it's best to kind of keep your eyes open. Yeah. Um, if you know anyone in the industry, it's always always good to reach out to those sort of people and, and ask ask for help. Um, I think not enough times people ask for help when they know someone where they could get a job or could help them introduce them to someone in the right areas. Yeah. Um, so I think that's definitely worth doing if you know That's anyone. why networking is important. Yeah, and you're, you're hot on the networking tip. I know it's... Uh, um, something that you're well you know on. I've got my groups that I like to be in on Facebook and I mean the groups come in handy um, and I think like wherever you move if you search on Facebook for a group that has um, 
the people from where you're from so if you're american americans in whatever country you're moving to or whatever city you're moving to like that's a good thing to search on facebook because chances are someone's created a group for that and um that is a good resource for networking because they can tell you what it's like to job search in that city or, or country um and people are always kind of like posting um you know maybe their company's hiring and you know they um ask that person if they know anyone and they always like kind of put it in those networks just to kind of help out you know fellow americans and i'm assuming um in you know other groups like you know if there's a you, you know brazilians in germany group i'm sure they're doing the same thing you know looking out for each other and uh the facebook groups there are some that are job related um so it's it's interesting how facebook has changed and you can use it for that purpose mm. now whereas previously like years ago um it wasn't exactly the place you would go yeah. to, to find work yeah, or you can even find yeah if you know where you're gonna roughly where you're gonna be living, you can find local boards that are just discussion boards and just pop your profile on there and say, hey, I'm gonna be arriving in X and Y. Do you know of any work going? You see that plenty yeah. here on the sort of Sydney Sydney groups, and um, yeah, I think more often than not, people are happy to help if if you're willing to ask for it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I've always I've posted you know some of our job um, ads. And on Facebook and in different Facebook groups because I've always people are always posting like hey I'm coming to Sydney and you know I work in this industry um, so whenever that happens I'm like oh yeah I remember someone was posting about looking for a job in marketing boom here we go we're hiring someone on our marketing team yeah absolutely alright well I think that's a good time just to take a little break um, we're coming back probably sharing some more of our stories um, also just I guess some things to avoid uh, when looking for jobs and maybe some red flags uh, for things that might not work out for you. Uh, we'll be back in just a few moments. Oh, sorry. Okay, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Thank you for listening to Expat State of Mind. If you're enjoying what you hear, like comment subscribe and share this podcast and remember if there's anything you want to hear on the podcast hit us up at at expat state of mind on instagram or expat state of mind at gmail.com and we're back that was such a great break wasn't it yeah well one one of the less eventful breaks um that we've had in the time it's not as hot as when we first started recording that, that first yeah. episode and we were prepared we had water we didn't have to go yeah well, you got, got water and tea i got water and tea i've got a cup of tea you're here. english and you know that's what you do drink tea not english but um oh whatever <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so back on to to find employment and i was keen to maybe ask about some stories about jobs that you found overseas that you've maybe not so much regretted but there's been times where you thought oh, i wish i'd thought this one through or yeah. that wasn't the right choice um interesting enough um most of the jobs i've had here have been actually really good um even when like i got the job when i was studying at university here um it was working for like the tab which is um i guess the 
they basically they're responsible for most of the gambling here like um you can place bets with them and i guess they're the when you say they're responsible for what you're meaning is that they are selling it and they're part of it not the responsible for as in the gambling issues in australia oh no 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 <laughs> no, no definitely not. like you know they're just they're there for you to place your bet and um that's exactly what i did was i was in a call center placing bets for horse racing and greyhound racing and other sporting events and it was very fun because like it didn't require much thinking and we just sat in a room and watched sports all day long um but surely like it's horse racing and the trots oh no so it was all sports are on the tv but um you know when people are calling they may not be so they may be placing a bet for a race that's not even on the TV in front yeah, of you or yeah. whatever. Um, but, like, lots of, like, Formula One would be on. Like, we'd watch anything. Everything was on TV. There was walls of TVs, basically, where we were. Um, like a sports bar. So did you have um, what, did you have any strange requests? Any? Oh, it was bets? just usually people who, A, didn't have enough money in their account. So they have to give you <laughs> their account number and their PIN number. And then you go look it up. And people want to make bets. I'm like, sorry, you know, you're in the negative. Um, Or they want to, they're trying to make a bet at the very last second. And you can um, up until the race starts, but. Not on the app. um, Yeah, so you you have to call in and do it. And uh, so it's just the pressure's on and they're like rushing you and like getting cranky and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's usually older people, believe it or not. Because a lot of like younger people do it online or go into like a tab venue like an outlet and do it yeah or they're at the bar and they're placed in a tab bet on the machine yeah, yeah, the bar. Was, yeah they're um, not far off having like just tab vending machines in the streets at this point yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the library there's not many places you can't place a bet here yeah but that was a cool that was a cool um place to work and i'm pretty sure we got free lunch i'm pretty sure we, we had a cafeteria Everybody and we just go you can go in there and just get food and stuff i don't remember paying anything um and to find out no, my friend you've just been stealing lunch every day no, no, no. <laughs> i mean i just don't i think it was free but um my friend Anker. can anyone if he, anyone uh, can confirm that if yeah if you work for if you work in the tab call center and uh or granville um you know just let me know maybe i forgot my friend um like we worked together at uts um he actually worked there as well and we think we worked there at the same time we just didn't know each other um then um i had a job also out west in uh south guilford i will not say the name of it oh it's actually south granville and um it was just a horrible place to work um i got the job through a recruiter and it was initially a three-month contract and uh, it was just a very stressful place to work. And I wish I had done more research. I was just so eager to, like, get a job that I didn't mind, yeah. you know, having to commute so far. And, um, like, I, it was just everyone was yelling every day. Curse words were flying about every single day. And it got to the point where people would, like, say something. They might be on the phone. I might be talking to someone else. But they would apologize to me because they knew how much it bothered me. Um and like I just cannot wait to get out of that job. And uh, looking back, I wish that I had told the recruiter, like, look, this is the area that I want to work in. I don't want to have, you know, an hour commute. 
I want to have, you know, no more than 30 minutes, 40 minutes or whatever. And I think that's something that is important when you are looking for a job in a new country, a new city is to make sure that you have like your guidelines, like, you know, you must have um, things that are non-negotiable, you know, how far you will commute, you know, areas that you want to work in, that kind of thing. Uh, but you know, every job that I've had after that has been really good. And I've like still talked to people that I worked with and, um, I'm so, you know, in touch with like old bosses and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Um, but it's interesting when I was in New Zealand and I was job hunting, I remember because I was on the working holiday visa there that this was a company that was hiring direct and I went there for an interview and she like flat out was like, well, because you're on a working holiday visa, this is about the most that you're going to make. And I'm like, look, I came from Australia. This is my salary here. I just wanted to be, you know, as close to that as possible. And she's like, you would never make that much here. And it's funny because I wish I could like go back to her after I got my job at the University of Auckland and be like, see, remember when you said that I wasn't going to make this much? I'm actually making like thirty thousand dollars forty thousand dollars more than what you even said and that was when I first got the job because then I got a raise like after a month um or maybe after like two months and um I just wish I could go back to that person and just be like you know maybe when you're giving out advice career advice because you know you're in a position to hire people um you might want to stick to to actual facts instead of your opinion um, obviously she wanted me to take the job there mm. instead of like searching elsewhere for more Very much so. and I think that when people are looking for um, a job in a new place that you should definitely um, kind of know what you want to make and you know not let ne- not necessarily let someone deter you um, from going after you know certain roles or um, yeah just like if I had listened to that woman I would not have you know, been make, I would have been in a shit job and not making what I thought I was worth at the time. Mm. And early on, just to go back to one of the other things you said sort of early in that um, piece, you were just saying um, you kind of accepted one of those jobs just because you needed a job. Um, and I think that's probably a situation that a lot of people find themselves in, um, particularly looking for their first job somewhere just because there is that pressure of needing to find a job um, to sustain yourself when you're yeah. abroad um, but yeah I think we've both worked in places where it hasn't been enjoyable and we've taken it for that reason and it just takes its toll um, and it's long term it's almost worth the, the the stress of not having a job for those extra couple of weeks in the first instance than dealing with a job you don't like long term yeah. once you're stuck in a job it's Oh, it's just awful, especially when there's visas involved. Um, oh, yeah. I've certainly been there. Um, and if, um, yeah, that's one one word of warning I would certainly say is if uh, if your visa is dependent on your job, you have to be extra careful about that job. Um, you know, I've worked places, and so I won't name names, um, but I've worked in you know, organisations where my, the fact that my visa is sponsored and that my staying in the country is predicated on working in this job um, has been used in conversations to quell any issues the classic if you don't want to work here you don't have to knowing that you need to work there to stay yeah, in the country to keep the um, visa yeah yeah so um, you know it's just 
just you know just ain't just take that extra step ask those extra questions in interviews um you know go for that extra job just to see if you're making the right decision or not because it is it's definitely you know long term it's a big decision you spend so much of your time at work then uh, mm. you know you're spending so much more time with your colleagues than anyone else so it's good to suss them out true and you know i think that's um one of the challenges of being on like a visa in the first place um like whether it's you know a sponsored visa or you're doing the working holiday like we mentioned before or like in australia if you're on a student visa you can only work 20 hours maximum per week and you know if you don't come over with a lot of money working 20 hours a week you know maybe making 25 dollars an hour um, might not be enough to you know sustain the lifestyle that you want to live and um, especially in a city like sydney where rent is quite expensive um so i know lots of people who are on student visas who end up having to try to find a way to supplement um their income you know uh, not saying that you know this is what you should mm. do but there are people who you know do like cash in hand jobs or maybe start doing um like doing hair like braiding hair and um doing stuff on the side like making stuff making products like skincare and stuff like that so that they can be able to afford um to live here because the student visa is so restrictive um then um there are other challenges that you might face because you are not um native to that country like in some obviously in some countries you know let's say like china and japan or whatever um you know big financial hubs you because you don't speak the language that's already like a challenge in itself mm. um you know you could be top you know in your industry in the um, in Europe or in the States or whatever, but, you know, going to a country where the language is totally different um, can can be a challenge in itself, um, especially if they're only looking for, you know, people that are from that country to work in those roles. I mean, in Australia, you see lots of roles that will say um, this role is only open to permanent residents and or citizens mm. of Australia and New Zealand. Mm. And um, so that can be discouraging for some people um, because at times it can seem like that's all that's out there at the moment. Um, and who knows what, what it's like now with COVID. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, they, they see it less and less because they're trying to stamp down on it. But um, yeah, there's, I guess there's code used where things like you know, local experience is necessary or preferred. And um, yeah, that's obviously leaning towards people that, are at the very least already here um but uh but you know there are there are jobs out there so it's it's just yeah like you said not being put off by those by seeing those experiences and thinking that it's me not necessarily you're going to find anything because there is always something out there uh, yeah. eventually you just, just got to be open-minded really mm. i think that's what's helped me get some of the roles that i've had is just being open and being flexible but not being too open and flexible we end up working somewhere that you don't like or you know they take advantage it's a fine line yeah it's a very fine <laughs> line so is there is there is there anything else do you, do you remember from your sort of initial job searches um you know that you wish you'd known before you got here or you do differently um, next time well I, I can say like something i would do differently next time is to not work with so many recruiters 
um, because I was just online and I was like applying for this job and it's with this recruitment agency, applying for that job, applying for that one. I was getting so many calls from recruiters and I was, you know, meeting up with them and they were all individually looking for roles for me and it just got too confusing and, you know, I was going on lots of interviews, but then what always ended up happening is that I've got like, I've gone on four interviews. They all liked me. They're all offering me something. And now I'm like, which one do I choose? And now in my head, I'm like, oh, but if I choose that one or, you know, which one is right? And for some people, that might not even sound like an issue. Okay, so that's not a bad problem to have. Yeah, I don't think it's a bad problem to have. But at the end of the day, I didn't, I guess I looked at recruiters like, you know, they're people too. They're trying to make a living. And here, and I, I will admit to not being honest. I wouldn't tell them that I was going on all of these interviews and I wouldn't tell them, um, I wasn't telling them as much. So I might just say, yeah, you know, I've spoken to, you know, maybe two other recruiters when maybe I actually spoke to five other recruiters. And um, so. It was like this when we started dating as well. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much (laughs) it. Yeah, it wasn't as cutthroat, but (laughs) um, it's. I think for me personally, I would have tried to develop like a relationship with maybe one or two recruiters who I knew like would have my best interest and um, just have them find some roles for me. And then I'd be going on interviews that were worth my time and not just going on interviews where it's like, maybe this will work. But in the end, I was like, nah, this is not for me or whatever. Um, And I think it just would have saved me time and effort um, in my job hunt. Warning people away from recruiters. What'd you say? Warning people away from recruiters. We're not warning them. I'm just saying, you know, don't just pick a couple and go with them. And then if they're not doing anything for you, they're not finding good stuff, find some other recruiters. There's so many. Like, um, I mean, Tom's a great recruiter. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no. If you're looking for a job in Australia, in IT, contact Tom. uh, I wouldn't do that. If I was you, if you're looking to, uh, to actually find a job. Now, um, yeah, and I, I, th- I found my job hunt was yeah made easier by the fact that I knew a couple of people that had done it before. Um, not necessarily close friends, but I'd seen people come out here from friendship groups mm. and find work. Um, so I think knowing that other people had done it sort of helped me think, oh, I'll probably find something eventually. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, I think you just have to keep the faith when you're doing those initial searches. But certainly having an idea of what you want and looking at things before you get here. You don't want to be arriving here and having to go to McDonald's from your hostel to get Wi-Fi to spend an hour on (laughs) on a job board. You you should have an idea of what you want to do so that you're not starting from absolute scratch. And if you can make inroads before you leave, if working when you arrive is important, then it's it's worth doing. Because... it can just be it can be quite stressful and daunting yeah and um i think this is something else that helped me when it comes to like finding work um was we before i moved here i did kind of chat to people who lived here whether they were from another country or if they were aussie and just kind of asked if there were any like certifications that I needed to have. Um, and once people find out that you're on a work and holiday visa, they're like, get your, um, what's the, the is it RSA? So like you can work in yes. like bars yes. and stuff like that. Cause that 
for some people, especially if you're on the working holiday visa and you just want to have a job, you know, that's an easy way for you to start getting those jobs that allow you to like work in bars mm-hmm. and clubs or whatnot. Um, then if you want to work in like a coffee shop, or you need some sort of barista training. And um, so and a, that's what people a, would tell you. And a beard. Yeah, <laughs> you need to be look like a hipster. Um, then, so that was like, there's a training for that. And um, if you want to work in an industry um, that involves children, so maybe in a school or in a daycare or some sort of childcare provider, um, you need to have like a, a working with children check done and a police check. And so those were the kind of things that, I was glad that I, people told me about because if I were to go into any of those industries, it's better to have that done in advance but before you start your search because they're going to ask you. And if the answer is no, they're probably going to go on to the next person who does have that. Whereas if you know the answer is yes, cool, mm. tick for you and um, they can bring you in for an interview and, and whatnot. Yeah. And where and how long those police checks take can obviously vary depending. Um, the you know, where, one. You've, where you've come from. And yeah, if um, you've been to a few countries, or I've actually we've actually seen this where I've worked. Someone had the same name and date of birth as someone else. Yeah, um, so that I've heard that, that held it up <laughs> somewhat. But, um, but I yeah. think it depends on what. Like, if you just need a like Australian federal police check, that's a very quick one, and it's cheap. But if you need an FBI check because you're an American and this is for permanent residency, not just to, you know, get mm. a job on your working holiday visa, that takes a bit longer because you have to do fingerprints and mail it off. And then you have to wait mm. until it gets done. If you use a channeler, it'll be done quicker and then they send it back. And then, you know, yeah. So that's a bit more effort. A bit more tedious. And can you think of uh, any other like challenges for for non-Aussies arriving to Australia? Um, yeah, one one thing that came up a few times when you know, speaking to people that had moved here or who were just arriving, you know, a lot of people when they come here, like say, you stayed with a friend, I had friends who stayed with me when they first arrived. Um, if you don't have a fixed address, it can be quite difficult. Oh, um, yeah. And um, so or if you don't have a phone i don't necessarily have an answer as to how to solve that problem but it just certainly was something that i remember being a bit of a problem so i can't yeah you say you can't set things up or um yeah it's just a you just kind of need that yeah you need it for a bank account anyway Mm. so you can get paid and if you don't have an australian mobile number and you look for a job here that is going to be a downfall because they're going to want to contact you like recruiters or even a company if you're applying direct and chances are they're not going to want to call whatever country your phone is still in your mobile phone is still in so that was like very important for me was to get a sim um, as soon as i started job hunting so I can, and what I mean, like an Australian sim, so I now have an Australian number. Mm. Um, and I don't know, I think it's the same in the UK now, but you can't register a phone without a form of ID that's registered to you. So um, there was a, a so small a period passport? of time where my visas may have lapsed. Uh, there may have been a slight gap between visas. And during that time, I did try and register a mobile phone and it didn't register. Um, in the UK or here, here. This is here. Um, and then as soon as I, my new visa came through I was able to register 
So it was, um, yeah, it was, it, was really, it was linked to my visa. So as soon as my visa had expired, I could no longer register that mobile oh, okay. until my new visa had been granted. Um, so I'm pretty sure it's the same in the UK now as well. Um, so it's worth looking into things like that. But then I'm pretty sure when you arrive here, there's like four different mobile stations trying to yeah. flog you that like first over first overseas mobile phone deal. Because I mean, with the prepaid SIM, anyone can get a prepaid SIM. If you, even if you're just visiting here, I think you can get yeah. a prepaid SIM. I think you still need. I think you still need ID for it. But yeah, but I don't think you need to have like Australian ID. Mm. I think you can just use your passport because mm. it's like specifically geared to tourists. I was going to say yeah, they're there trying to get you before you've even left the airport. Exactly. And they do the same in the U.S. Like T-Mobile saw the opportunity and they were like, oh, we can offer this two-week SIM card for people who come to the mm. U.S. for short-term holidays. I think I may have even used that. <laughs> yeah. It's a good idea. I think I um, used it. Yeah, but, you yeah. know, especially when you get stung with those roaming charges. Exactly. But <laughs> then I like always make sure now that I have a plan where um, it allows me to use my phone overseas without charging me exorbitant. Mm. amount of pricing yeah um do you have any like tips for people any other no (coughs) or maybe not tips things they should avoid things to avoid um yeah look i think any red flags during an interview that someone you might be working with is an asshole that is worth avoiding um yeah i think from anyone's experience even working at home where you're surrounded by friends and family and working with an asshole can take its toll on you. I think when you're living on your own or for miles and miles away from p- people that you really know, then um, working with someone that grinds on you just takes so much more out of you. Um, so my biggest thing to avoid would be yeah, just working with people that don't fit with you because um, you just don't want to be ground down by the daily grind. You just want to... So, uh, uh, that would be my biggest tip. Otherwise, I think you just got to be proactive and try as many avenues as you can yeah. um, until <clears throat> until you get something. Because there's stuff out there. There's plenty. There's certainly plenty of work here in Australia. Or there, there was pre-COVID. Um, so I think, yeah, the more you put yourself out there, um, the more likely you are to find things. Ask for help. Get in these groups. And, um, yeah. I used to say, before you have a job, when you're job hunting, you should make that your job that's your job at the moment is job hunting mm. um so right. it's kind of like what and you do during the day nine to five yeah exactly and um i mean for some people that's probably a bit much but i remember i was just like on seek on linkedin you know going through stuff and rewriting my cv or resume if you're american um just rewriting that and you know i'd see a job and then i'd change it again because i want to make it you know work for the role this role that i'm applying for and like right now i'm sure in seek i've got like seven cvs uploaded or whatever um just because you know some resumes or cvs are good for this type of role and then some are good for others and um like it's always changing and that's probably a another good tip is you know maybe do a little bit of research about what um, is expected as far as like a CV or a cover letter um, in the country that you are going to be living in because it may not be the same um, that it is in the country Mm -hmm. that you're from sometimes like you know when I came to Australia the resume that I would would have been using in the states is nothing like the one that I use in Australia Um, it's just like it's structured differently um, yeah, I took off, you know, a lot of stuff and 
Um, I didn't know that until I did a bit of research. All right. Well, I think that's a good time to sort of wrap things up. Uh, I know next week is a good uh, good What's episode, ne- and one I what think that you can one that you can sort of shed a lot more light on. Um, you know, making friends and socializing <laughs> when you first arrive. So, looking Wee. at um, yeah, and another chance so to talk about some, no, of you, <laughs> so, some of your groups and um, you know what we did to meet people and um, yeah, both got some good stories. One that links in with something exciting coming up soon, which we can. Um, talk about something, next something week. exciting come up soon yeah i'll leave that a little uh, little morsel and you can think about it in between now and then dun, dun, dun. Um, so uh, yeah thanks a lot for listening uh, if you've made it this far through episode four and um we'll be back very soon with episode five don't forget to uh go to facebook go to the the search bar type in expat state of mind then click the like button yeah, then do that. go to instagram Go to the, what is it called? Discover. Go to this Discover page. Type Expat State of Mind in the, the search field. Then follow Expat State of Mind on Instagram. And then maybe like some posts too. Yeah, and just then like and subscribe too. Well. Yeah, and then, you know, go to wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it be Google, Spotify, Stitcher, CastBox, I think. I think I had that one. Anyway, go to wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, subscribe to Expat State of Mind. Leave a comment. I want to be able to like eventually read some comments and like answer questions. Um, but obviously, we need to have some questions. So <laughs> if you're listening and you got a question and you want to hear us answer it on the podcast, put it on one of those things. Um, also, you can send us an email. I try to check it regularly. Uh, Expat State of Mind at gmail.com. You can send us some questions there. I think in the future we're probably um, going to want to have um, other people sharing their experiences and their tips um, and tricks for living abroad as well Um, because, you know, there's so many other countries that, you know, uh, you can have this expat experience and um, it would be good to, like, get experiences from, you know, people from all over. Yeah. I think that was a nice subtle shout-out for some uh, likes and, and subscribes. Yeah. I didn't even tell people to follow me on Instagram. <laughs> you can find that also if you follow us. Um, so thanks a lot for listening. We'll, uh, we'll be back very soon. This was episode four of Expat State of Mind. Bye. Thanks for listening to Expat State of Mind. And don't forget, if you enjoyed the show, please like, comment and subscribe. And until next time, look after yourselves.